No. <laughs> so encouraging to honor the Lord Jesus Christ today. Thank you, everybody who's been a part of that. Um, I never planned to get teary-eyed, but it just the truth kind of overwhelmed me right now. How great our God is. But I'd like to draw our attention to the book of Zechariah because in it is, it's a great book of hope. It lifts up Christ and what he is doing and is going to do. So that's why uh, when Will and I kind of talked about it, uh, thought it was a great book to, to preach and to learn from together. So turn with me in your Bibles or on your cell phones. You're allowed to use your cell phone if it's got a Bible app on it, okay? And we'll begin reading in chapter 3, verse 8. Hear now, O Joshua the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are assigned. Behold, I will bring my servant the branch. For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of the land in a single day. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. And, an angel who t and the angel who talked with me came again and woke me like a man who was awakened out of his sleep. And he said to me, what do you see? I said, I see and behold a lampstand all of gold and with a bowl on the top of it and, and the seven lamps on it with seven lips on each of the lamps that are on the top of it. And there are two olive trees by it, one on the right and one on the right of the bowl and, and the other on its left. And I said to the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, do you not know what these are? I said, no, my Lord. Then he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain, before Zerubbabel? And you, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hand shall also complete it. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. For whoever despises a day of small things shall rejoice and shall see the plumb line in the hand of Zerubbabel. May God add his blessing to his word for us today. When I was an elementary age boy, uh, me and my friend Rick would spend hours, especially in the summer, roaming the hills, the forests, the pastures, the creeks, the lakes, the ponds, not lakes, ponds, looking for a place to build a new tree cabin, a new ground fort. We hoped to find a cave or a ghost town where there would be buried treasure. Yeah, we never found it. <laughs> you know, that doesn't mean anything to you, but I can picture it. It was beautiful. <laughs> Hundreds of acres was my playground. And I, now I know why traffic drives me crazy, because I need open space. But anyway, 
I say that just to remind us that God's word, I never found that treasure, but God's word is full of treasure. And it's here for us today. God's word is timeless. And if we just dig a little bit, if you read your Bible and dig into those study notes and your study Bibles and, and all that stuff, just God has incredible stuff for us to learn together. The prophet Haggai's role was to encourage the people to get back to work. Uh, in Haggai 2.4, he says, be strong and get to work. Start rebuilding my temple. And Zechariah, God sent him. They were companions. They were uh, prophesying at the same time. His role was to give the people more truth, to encourage them to stick with it, to persevere. And his first words were, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you. How can we stay strong in our faith in God, even in difficult times? How can we run and not grow weary? G. Campbell Morgan says it really well, and I have the quote. You will only be strong as you see the things that are not seen, the heavenly visions, and hear the things that are never heard, the heavenly voices. We can only see and hear these heavenly things by faith in God, and I want you to know God has things for you and me today that he wants us to know, to be, make us strong. I mentioned it before, but A.W. Tozer in his book, Pursuing God, says it this way, the voice. He's talking about God. And God is always speaking. I mean, when he, he spoke things and they were made, let there be light, and there was light. But, but God didn't write the Bible and close and say, I'm done speaking. No, he, he, he's speaking today. This word's alive because God's alive, because God's eternal, and he's always speaking. So he's speaking those words to us today. Let there be light. Hear my voice. I'm speaking not just in his word, although probably primary, essential, but he speaks through the heavens. Are you listening? Do you see him? Do you hear his voice speaking? He speaks in our hearts to our souls. And, and, you know, our problem is we hear God's voice. Even unbelievers hear his voice. We're without excuse, the whole world, because the heavens declared. Our hearts tell us that there is a God. But our problem in the West is we put on lab coats. And we start to tear it down. Oh, we can explain. I mean, when they, they heard thunder, or they heard God the Father speak to Jesus, what did they do? They put on their lab coats and said, oh, it was thunder. No, it was God speaking, saying, Jesus is my son, my beloved son. Hear him. So don't ignore that voice. He's speaking. Zechariah's here so, we're stead so we can be steadfast in our faith. That's his, the word from heaven to us today. Be steadfast. Catch the heavenly vision. Be bold in your obedience. Be hopeful in your outlook, even in days that are dark, living, in hopeful, living hopefully in dark times. Let's pray. Lord God, speak to our hearts today. Let us see a heavenly vision of you, Jesus, the Lord, the Christ, the returning King, the one who saved us. Let us see you in your glory so we're changed. Just a little bit moved 
to loving obedience. Lord, let us hear your voice today, speaking into the hearts of every one of us what we need to hear together, what we need to hear individually. Lord, Spirit of God, you are powerful and mighty. And you know what we need to hear. You know how to direct us. You know you have the power to change us. So do your work in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Encouragement. In Zechariah, there are five, eight visions, and the first five are very positive. And, and we looked at four of those last week, and since some of you weren't here, and since we all forget, I wanted to do a quick review. The first important thing is to remember, God says, return to me. Those were his first words. Return to me, and I will return to you. That is an invitation to repentance, to turn from our way to go God's way, and it is an invitation to a personal relationship. God wants you to be near him, to be close to him. And we talked about that a couple weeks ago. And then there were these visions. Zechariah had, the first one was the rider and the horse among the myrtle trees. And he gave words of comfort. He says, I have my eye on you. I've not forgotten you, people of God. There's glorious days coming. I'm going to lift up Jerusalem again. Jerusalem again. So don't be overwhelmed by the rubble. Know that I'm going to accomplish what I said, and it's going to be good. Words of comfort, I have my eye on you. Then it was the vision of the four horns and the four craftsmen, and it was a word of security, just reminding the people that God's in control of the nations. In Isaiah 44, Isaiah 150-plus years before Cyrus, the king of Persia, was ever thought of, said, called him out by name and said, Cyrus is my shepherd and he will send my people back after the 70 years that Jeremiah had said that they would be sent back after 70 years of being in exile in Babylon, disciplined for their disobedience, and it all came true. Understand that the nations are under my power and will and no other, and I'm in control. So you're right where I want you to be. And Persia's in power because that's exactly what I want. Third vision was Jerusalem and its splendor. It's a word of hope. There's a measuring line and there was something to be measured because God was going to start to rebuild it. Near future and distant future, it's going to be glorious, especially when the king, the branch, returns. The fourth vision was the Lord himself. He's our advocate I read a little bit about that this morning, the branch, how he would come. Our accuser, Satan, is standing there, and he has an amazing case. You're sinful. We are sinful, and we're unclean, and he's pointing his finger, and he's exactly right. He doesn't deserve, she doesn't deserve to be in your kingdom. He's a, he's a sinner. She's a terrible person. I know all her gossip. I know all about her. Guys gossip, too. But the advocate died for us and makes us clean. He died on a cross. We remembered it this morning so that we could be made new people. No longer living in fear of retribution. Oh, I better obey because I'll get in trouble if I don't. But I, I want to obey because this God loves me. He, he, and I want to obey him out of loving gratitude. And Christ empowers us to follow him and to live for him. And he holds on to us and he'll never let us go. He's our advocate. 
That's what we have. Let's go to the fifth vision. Read a little bit about that in chapter 4 of the first verses. A golden lamp stand, a candelabra, seven, seven lights. And Zechariah has questions. What is this? And the angel doesn't answer him, by the way, until verse 10. We didn't even get down to that. <laughs> so he had to wait. Like, there's all these other explanations. But the seven, the, the seven candle lamp stand, it's literally a representing God. The light is God. He's light, and in him's no darkness. There's seven lamps, the perfect number seven. God's eyes, his light is everywhere, and he sees and he knows because he's always present. And there's these two olive trees, and uh, it seems like Zerubbabel and Joshua, the, the, the king and the priest there in Jerusalem, are the, the, represented by the, oil, the, the olive trees, excuse me. They're called the sons of oil. And those olive trees represent unending supply. And the key verse is verse 4. What are these, my Lord? And then he goes into verse 4. This is the word, excuse me, verse 6. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. The olive trees, oil, represents the Holy Spirit we believe, and that is an unending supply of power. What mountain's going to get in your way, Zerubbabel? It's going to become a plain. So the obstacles to rebuilding the temple seem like a mountain, but they're going to turn into a plain because of the power of the Holy Spirit. There's going to be a cornerstone or a topstone put in place, and people are going to be shouting, grace, grace. After 16 or 17 years of nothing happening on the temple, would you have been frustrated about that? It's never going to happen in my lifetime. I can hear my cynical voice saying it, and God says, it's going. Zerubbabel started it, and I'm going to give him the power, and he's going to finish it. And there's going to be rejoicing. It, the, the waiting was worth it. Look at verse 10. For whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice. Don't ever despise the small things that are God's things. The new temple isn't going to appear very grand and glorious, and Herod was going to make it grand and glorious, but that was only the outside. Jesus made it glorious because he indwelt, he lived, he went and worshipped in that temple. Don't despise the small things of God, five loaves and two fish, by the power of God. Look what it can do. Don't despise, despise a small if that small band of people are indwelt by God the Spirit. In my foolish days as a young man, I never wanted to pastor a small church. It's all I've ever done. Grace Chapel, you're the biggest church I've ever been a part of. 
Don't despise the small things of God. The people of God, because they're the temple of God. They are shining God's light. They're doing his work. They're showing off his glories and the saving power through Jesus Christ. Let's not worry about size or budget. Somebody has to, but no, we really don't. You know why? Let's concern ourselves with the work that God has called us to. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. This is the word of the Lord to us. Obstacles that seem to prevent us from advancing. Issues that we must address that slow us down and overwhelm us. I know you can hear me on this. Our many iniquities and weaknesses, our bad attitudes and our skepticisms are all like mountains. But they're nothing to God, the Spirit, and his power. If we hear God's word and respond in trusting obedience, we are going to hear shouts of rejoicing as we look back and see what God has done adding numbers and adding beauty to the bride of Christ around the world. Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you. Return to him. Dare we ask God the Spirit to come powerfully like he did before? Think the day of Pentecost. What would we do with 3,000 new people? Are we ready for that? Would we dare ask God to bring us that many people? How about just 30 or 300? Well, that's getting large, too. Wow. Dare we imagine what would happen if we began to pray fervently together for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven? I want you to know I enjoyed last week so much when we prayed together at the end of the service. Heartfelt prayers coming from you, the congregation, our leaders, just asking God to work. Youth group, I want to call you out. It's not just the youth leaders that should be praying that you have a great spiritual retreat at Refreshing Mountain or or that the rock would be successful. You guys need to own that. You guys need to dare to ask God to do something amazing when you go there on Sunday nights, that he would speak to you, that he would speak to friends, that you would begin to see your friends and and begin to ask God to do things. You're ready to do that. You need to do that. It's not up just to us old folks, your parents or whatever. We need to be praying hard that God would go to work because it's his work. It's by his might. The temple work looked like a mountain to be moved, but it was, they were all wrong. We just need to be busy building the temple of God, the church, the body of Christ. So these first five visions were all given to encourage, to to build up. And the last three are written kind of like more negatively, is warnings. And I just want to kind of fly through them real quickly. Look at verse chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. So here we are at the, the sixth vision. 
Again, I lifted up my eyes and saw, and behold, a flying scroll. Well, that, that would catch your attention. And he said to me, what do you see? And I answered, I see a flying scroll. Its length is 20 cubits, and its width is 10 cubits. And then he said to me, this is the curse that goes out over the face of the whole land. For everyone who steals will be cleaned out according to what is on one side, and everyone who swears falsely shall be cleaned out according to what is on the other side. And I will send it out, declares the Lord of hosts, and it shall enter the house of the thief and the house of him who swears falsely by my name. And it shall remain in his house and consume it both timber and stones. A flying book, flying iPhone, I don't know what it would be now, but it would catch our attention. And God wanted the people to know that evil and wickedness had kind of like rooted itself back in the land, and people were lying. People were swearing falsely. They were using God's name in vain by saying, I'll do it by the God of heaven, Jehovah. And they weren't following through. And God says the sin against people stealing, swearing falsely is a sin against God. It kind of wraps up the, the Ten Commandments all together. Judgment's going to fall on the unrepentant. It's a warning. God is going to clean it out. He's going to banish it. He's going to cut them off. He's going to purge it out. God's curse is going to consume their home. So everything they got by lying and cheating, by swearing falsely to get gain, God's just going to take away. That's quite a picture, isn't it? They're not even going to be safe in their own homes. The place where we kind of like hide our caves, our castles, the places we go to feel secure, it's just going to disappear and rot away. And all the excuses like it's just business or everybody else is doing it aren't going to stand in front of God's justice and holiness. There's no hiding. There's no refuge. Because God's not like me. He's not like us. He hates sin. He's got to judge it. And unfortunately, we make the mistake of believing that God's patience with evil is a weakness. Some people think God's not there because there's evil in the world, but he's just patient with it. When God cleans house, when he does spring cleaning, it's spotless. Just remember Noah's flood. That's how much God hates sin. How much does God hate sin? Think of Sodom and Gomorrah and the fire that fell on it. There was nothing left. That's how much God hates sin. How much does God hate sin? Jesus Christ, God the Son, had to come and clean and take it away. There's an urgency when we remember the flood, when we remember Sodom and Gomorrah, there's an urgency about people who haven't heard or believed that we need to confront them with the gospel. Because there's fiery judgment promised to come. And Zechariah is going to be talking about that as we look in the chapters ahead in the next few weeks. God is going to clean house. 
But here's the good news in all of that. From Isaiah chapter 55, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Because my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are as higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. That should bring fear to my heart and also should bring joy to my heart when I think about God hating sin and what he's done to remove it from all who believe in Christ. That was a warning. It was kind of negative, but Zechariah also is kind of positive because God has made us clean. Then there's a seventh vision. Look at chapter, chapter 5, verse, verse 5. Then the angel who talked with me came forward and said to me, lift your eyes and see what, what, what is that going out. And I said, what is that? And he said, this is the basket that is going out. And he said, this is their iniquity in all the land. And behold, the leaden cover was lifted and there was a woman sitting in the basket. And he said, this is wickedness. And he thrust her back into the basket and thrust down the leaden weight on its opening. Then I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, two women coming forward. The wind was in their wings, and they had wings like the wings of a stork, and they lifted up the basket between earth and heaven. Then I said to the angel who talked with me, where are they taking the basket? He said to me, to the land of Shinar, to build a house for it. And when this is prepared, they will set the basket down there on its base." That's weird. <laughs> what is that basket? <laughs> well, that was the iniquities, not of the world, but the iniquities of all the sin in the land of Judah. The people of God, the people who had come back. Wickedness was there. But wickedness was under God's control. It was in a basket. I don't know why God personifies wickedness as a woman, but wisdom's also personified as a woman as well. So we have wisdom and wickedness, and one of them is a good woman and one of them is a bad woman, but wickedness was put under control, confined in the basket, and God put a heavy lid on it, and then he took it to Shinar. Where's Shinar? Well, that's Babylon. That was where the Tower of Babel was, Genesis chapter 11. You can read about it there. That's where the people rebelled after the flood. And God's saying, I'm not going to let evil and wickedness dwell in my land. I'm going to remove it. And I have it under control. It's contained. And what Jerusalem is to God, the apple of his eye, his people, his city, Babylon is the apple of Satan's eye. Babylon represents the world's greed, its arrogance, all its wickedness. And Babylon and its citizens are going to be judged. Can I jump ahead to Revelation chapter 18? Just listen to Babylon. That's why we're told to flee it. Flee the world and its desires, because that's what Babylon represents. Why? Because after this I saw, Revelation 18, after this I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority on earth. 
And it was made bright with his glory, and he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons, a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all the nations have drunk the wine of the passions of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed an immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. And then I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues, for her sins are heaped up high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Pay her back as she herself has paid back others, and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed, as she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. I'll stop there, that's enough. So flee, because understand, flee Babylon, because that's God puts it there, because that's a fitting place for wickedness, and God's warning us, don't be a part of it. Flee, turn to me, and find mercy. Have you fled to Jesus? Then you can be encouraged, because evil is under control. Evils contained. The evil that harasses us and hates us and imprisons us and murders us for following Jesus will be dealt with by God in his perfect way and time. I know a lot of you probably get Voice of the Martyrs. If you don't, I would encourage you to subscribe to the magazine. It's free, I think. You just sign up for it. It'll just remind you of being bold for Christ because I'm a soft one. I've had no struggles at all. But listen to this. This is Indonesia. What's the risk of being a pastor in Indonesia speaking out for Christ? Well, violence at the hands of fanatical Muslims in Indonesia. And someone's doing it. How about this? Vietnam. Risk. Violence and harassment at the hands of local government and officials. Nigeria, risk. Death at the hands of terrorist groups. North Africa, risk. Imprisonment, imprisonment fines, death. Wow. Why do I bring that up? Because evil is under control. It's confined. If you were in ABF this morning, you saw the clip. Victory, right? I live. I live. I'm healed. I'm healed. Whether God does it in this world, if I leave this world, it's all okay. I live. Death has been conquered. I can give up my life for the gospel so that people can be saved, so that people can, can know the love of Christ. One last vision. Chapter 6. Again, I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, four chariots coming out from between two mountains, and the mountains were mountains of bronze. 
And the first chariot had red horses, and the second black horses, and the third white horses, and the fourth chariot dappled horses, all of them strong. And then I answered and said to the angel who talked with me, what are these, my Lord? And the angel answered and said, these are going out to the four winds of heaven after presenting themselves before the Lord of all the earth. The chariot with black horses goes toward the north, etc., etc. They go to the four points of the compass, north, south, east, and west. What's God trying to tell us here? I know what's going on around the world. So be at ease. Do you feel at ease today? Don't read the news. Go ahead and read the news. Just remember Zechariah. God's got it covered. He knows what's going on. He's got messengers. They're scouting it out. They're strong. They went to the four points of the world, and he knows what's going on. God's in control. He's aware of everything that's going on. His eyes can see behind the closed doors of Washington, D.C. Take comfort. He knows what's going on there, good and bad. It's okay. Wickedness is under control. He's got it in a basket. He's accomplishing his work and his will. Be at ease. He knows what's going on in Moscow behind closed doors, in Beijing, in London, in Kiev, in Damascus, in Cairo, in Caracas, in Tehran. Tehran. Did I say that wrong? Yeah. God's got his eyes on Jerusalem. God's got his eyes on the sparrow. I know he watches me. He watches you. He's got his bride. He knows what's going on with all these martyrs, these people who are suffering. He's got it covered. That's why the book of Revelation was written, to encourage people who were going through persecution to hang on, that it was worth it. And it's been worth it through the centuries, and it's worth it now in our day, and it will be worth it at the end of times, just before Jesus comes back, to hold on, to be encouraged, because God's got his eyes on us. Let every person be subject to governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. That's Romans 13, the letter to the Romans, chapter 13, verse 1. So what's it telling us? That I need to be a good earthly citizen. But you know what it's saying above that? We need to be better citizens of heaven. Because that's where my king is. And that's where the best laws are written. And they're going to, everyone will be fulfilled. All the promises, all the glorious things all through Christ. So we need to be busy being truthful, good citizens of heaven, kind and honest and helping the weak and seeking justice for those who have no influence because we're citizens of heaven. Praying for rulers, but especially praying for God's people because we're citizens of heaven. Psalm 24, listen to God's word. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? 
He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. David asked some incredibly important questions. Who can go and stand on God's holy hill? Well, the, question, the answer is nobody. But that's what's so wonderful about the hope we have of our advocate, the branch, Jesus Christ, because he's the one who makes us righteous. He's the one who came and made us clean. When Paul was talking about Jesus in his letter to the, to the Colossians, here's what he said. In verse 19 of chapter 1 of Colossians, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, that's speaking of Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy. Here's the unbelievable part. Because Jesus died, and if we believe in him, by his death, so that we can be presented holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Just be excited today that Jesus is your advocate if you've made Christ your Savior, your advocate, the one who represents you before God. Just be happy about that because he's going to make you, he has made you holy and blameless and above reproach. Well, not yet, but yes, now and not yet. It's that tension. But it's real and it's true. What's it mean to have Jesus as your, as your advocate? I just want to remind you about Peter. Lord, I'm going to die for you. Everybody else can run away. I'll go and die with you. And Jesus was his advocate and said, Peter, I've been praying for you. And you're going to stumble and fall, but I'm going to restore you. And then you're going to serve and build up your brothers and sisters. That's the advocate I need. Jesus is praying for us. He's holding on to us. And then he came to Peter on the beach. Peter, do you love me? You know I love you, Lord. Peter, do you love me? You know I love you, Lord. Peter, do you love me? Then go feed my sheep. Do my work that I've called you to do, that I've prepared for you to do. Do my work. He's inviting us, children of God, the prodigal children, back, restored to fellowship. That's what it means to have Jesus as your advocate. He's got your back. So Zechariah and the remnant were living in really difficult times. And what did God want them to know? He wanted them to know that he's everywhere, that he's in control, that he will do what he says, that he's going to remove wickedness, and it's going to be grand and glorious. What do I need to do today? I need to see visions of heaven. I need to be hopeful in dark times because of the words of heaven. Hear the voices of heaven. Believe God's word. Be encouraged. You, therefore, my beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the air of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know who wrote that? 
said that. Peter, the one who had an advocate. Stay strong. Stay connected. God's got a hold of you. Believe and stay true. Let's pray. Lord God, take your word and use it for glorious things in our hearts and lives this week. Lord, help us to pray boldly and to believe that it's not by our might or power, but it's done by your spirit. May it be so in our hearts and lives today. We pray this in the name of Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen.